everybody on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. We talk about the trilogy and what it means for MMA. Also, Jorge Masvidal, a career over with a loss to Kobe Covington. Is that true? And also, of course, the midweek mailbag. The 125-pound championship on the line in a trilogy, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. And the interesting fact that makes this, that gives it a UFC record, is that it is the fastest turnaround, the shortest time uh, for a trilogy ever. Ever. Like 406 days. This entire trilogy took to make. 406 days, a little over a year. So, does this highlight the positive or the negative? Because here's the deal. You have a heavyweight fight that I think will be entertaining. It's a fight that has uh, this, this so many subplots, former friends, former sparring partners. You have um, the... What a lot of people say, this may be simplistic, but a lot of people see this as a, a new era heavyweight versus an old era heavyweight, right? That Cyril Gaon is part of this new breed of heavyweight that can do just about everything that is a little smaller, although he's still big, a little quicker, a little bit more versatile. He can just do a lot of things and uh, tends to win long fights, not a, you know, uh, three-round kind of guy. If I don't knock you out quickly, I'm done. He's a heavyweight of a slightly different mold. Whenever I hear that, I always think back in my head to other heavyweights that had similar gifts that we don't give enough credit to. Like, you know, Cain Velasquez. Remember, he was a smaller heavyweight by comparison. Quick, endless gas tank, versatile, explosive, athletic. And we were like, oh, my God, we're seeing a new kind of heavyweight. Then the pendulum shifted, and guys got a, a bit bigger. And then we saw kind of the bigger heavyweights are a little bit little bit more one-dimensional, although I, I, I still think a crop of heavyweights that Stipe Miocic bit was pretty versatile. And now it seems like, oh, we're, we're kind of going back to that. But people are acting like it's a new thing, but it's not. All right, Cain Velasquez is very much of that mold. So you want a strong anchor to a fight like this. You want a great co-main event. Because I don't think Cyril Gaon or Francis Ngannou are standalone pay-per-view draws. The card outside of the main event and co-main event is absolute garbage. I don't use that phrase lightly, but it is what it is, and I don't want to lie to you. It's not a good card at all. And when I look at that and I think about it, I have to face the fact that you're relying a lot on uh, your main and co-main because the card's not very good. So when I look at Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, the big question here is, does it highlight how bad the 125-pound division is? Does it highlight the negative instead of the positive? Does it highlight the fact that we don't have anybody else, so this is what we're sticking to? You never want that, all right? You never want to be stuck in a position where, where we have to have a trilogy or else we don't have anything in the division. But that's what I'm seeing here. That's exactly what I'm seeing. Not saying it won't be entertaining. The first fight was very entertaining. But 
Brandon Moreno's dominance in the second fight throws a monkey wrench into the, wow, these, if, if they had had a fight like the first one and Brandon Moreno came out on top, you'd go, wow, these guys are going to have a banger every single time. It'll be like Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington. I will pay a million times if they'll fight a million times. That wasn't the case last time. Brandon Moreno was clearly better than Davison Figueredo. So that idea of, well, he won, but they, they, they really have great scraps every single time. Last one was pretty one-sided. So are we highlighting the negative in this fight? That's what I'm curious about. Kelly Kell, what do you think? I think so. I think for the majority of people, this fight at face value is Davis and Figueredo's in there because there was nobody else to put in there. And I think a lot of people realize that because realistically, who else do you put in there against Brandon Moreno? You know, I'm, I'm not itching to see this fight after the way the second one went down, but am I going to watch it? Yeah, sure. But would I rather somebody else been in there? Yeah, probably. But there's nobody else to put in there. It's the catch 22, right? <laughs> exactly. You know what that expression means, right? Catch 22? No, I just hear it in conversation like we're having. Never that read makes the book. Sense. It's a really good book, by the way. No. Classic of American literature. Check it out if you ever can. Anyway, one of my favorite one of my favorite books. Is that the time. name of it? Catch Twenty Two by Joseph Heller. Yes. Okay. Right. Catch Twenty Two. I'm explaining this to you. In okay. the book is it's called Catch Twenty Two in the Military, where all you need to do to get out of military duty uh, for basically uh, insanity is to request it. But as soon as you request it, they're going to say you're not insane because you requested getting out. That's what Catch Twenty Two is. That all you have to do to get out of military service is claim you're insane. But as soon as you claim you're insane, they're going to say that's a rational act. Therefore, you're not insane. And the book is based around Smith History yeah. 101. So anyway, that's where it comes from. So the book is full of these catches that make no sense. And it's called Catch 22. Now you know. So Learn something new every day. New every day. But it's a really excellent book. Check it out if you can. It's one of my favorites. So uh, KOB, do you agree that it seems like we're almost highlighting the negative with a turnaround on this trilogy? Like you go into this well over and over because we don't I mean, have anybody else? Yes and no, but the funny part I kind of look at it, it's like if you're the rest of the division, you almost must be happy they're doing this fast. Like how many more chances can they keep giving Figueredo? Or like <laughs> you right, got to yeah. figure, oh, my odds of getting the next title shot are pretty good. If you're anybody in the top five right now, so Askar, Askarov, Pantoja. Kaikar uh, France. Kaikar France, one, yeah. Alex Perez, Brandon Royval, who just won. Like you got to be feeling pretty good. Like any one of you could be getting the next title shot after this. Yeah, you just don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think it's it's the problem we've always had is 125 has always been on the razor's edge of disappearing. It's never been a great division. It's had a great champion. It's had a couple great champions. Demetrius Johnson, great champion. Henry Cejudo, the triple C, right? And then they're going to get rid of it. He leaves. And then we had Davison Figueredo, who demolished Joseph Benavides twice. We thought we were getting the same thing. This dominant champion where the allure of the division might be watching this guy stomp bodies until he doesn't want to do it anymore. That he has that ability. Davidson Figueredo was that fearsome fighter who can carry a title forever. It's what we really thought. And this guy, oh my God, we got another Demetrius Johnson. We got another Henry Sudo. We got another guy who can wreck the division for years and years and years. And this trilogy is a result of that not happening. We didn't get what we thought we were going to get. We thought we did in the first fight with Brandon Moreno, which, which 
Davison Figueredo clearly won, but cost himself a point with a low blow and cost himself the fight. He did. Cost himself the fight. So you could say, wow, you know, what if he didn't do that? He would be amazing. You know, he could still be this dominant champ, and he lost. So this is kind of the leftover. We wanted or we believed we were headed for that next dominant champion at 125 that might make this, uh, this division interesting. And instead, we're kind of getting a trilogy as a backup prize. That's not an insult to Brandon Moreno. I think he can be a great champion. I think he has all the gifts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great story, right? Last picked on the Ultimate Fighter. Did you see, like, the 10-year challenges that the UFC put out with Brandon Moreno? And he looks like he's 12. Am I wrong? Am I? Can awesome. you believe it? Like, all smiles before the fight, too. Like, just yeah. a big grin on his face. Like, he, he looked every bit the assassin baby. Like, like a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. And I think that was a good way to, to, to you know, to obviously, um, you know, promote, in a sense, Brandon Moreno. Just as, as kind of as, as, once again, the feel-good story. Last picked on the Ultimate Fighter to champion. In a fight, nobody expected him to win. It's a, it's a great story. And great stories make everything. Great stories make everything. And right now, he has a great story. Can he be a great champion? Can he stabilize the division? Because I haven't really gotten the impression in the field that 125 is totally safe. I don't. I don't, I don't get that feeling. When it can anchor a pay-per-view, when... 125 is on everybody's lips, and the title fight is a huge deal. Then I feel the division safe, and we haven't had that yet. KOB, do you feel 125 is sticking around for sure now? It seems like it's always there's always an audition, right? It's always like, well, this and that. And we don't talk that way about any other division. No, here's the thing. I, I, am I convinced it's going to be around forever? No, no, not even close. Am I convinced it's going to be around for at least the rest of 2022? Pretty sure. Especially if Moreno wins again, because I think in Moreno, I, I take that back. Either or, if either or, like we thought, Figueroa was going to be the guy. He wasn't. He yes. ended up not being Moreno. Beat him. If he gets the belt back, you could still kind of run with that narrative. It was a setback. He came back. He did this, whatever. So you can still run with it a bit. If Moreno wins, you have a guy who's generally likable. Like you, you, as we said, like maybe he doesn't have the right passport, but he's just a likable guy, just a friendly, smiley right. guy. So you can kind of market around that too. Like he he is kind of that fun story, last picked on Ultimate Fighter, all that stuff. So you can still market that going ahead. Um, beyond those two guys, I don't know. Like if, if, if let's say one of these guys wins and then loses the belt next, I honestly don't know what the future is because it, when I look at the rest of the, of the division, and this might just be because I kind of like Kai Kara France, I like that Jimmy comes from, but he's he's got the most notable win over Cody Garbrandt. He's I think probably the the most well known outside of those two guys in that division. But what do you think is better for the division's longevity? A dominant champion or a compelling division where anyone can be champ at any given time? What do you think is better it, for them? For that division, dominant champion, I think. Really? Cause it seems like it, it never really... No. Demetrius Johnson was always in trouble even when DJ was killing everybody. I feel like if that belt passes around the way the light, the light heavyweight one did for a while, it was like just a, you know, a carousel of just a new champion every right, single time. Right, pre-John Jones. A contender, yeah. yeah, a contender went up for the belt. I think mean, that's bad for the division because I, I, I honestly think that division needs 
a dominant champ to keep people like to, to, to just at least not get rid of the, of the division as long as you have a guy who's dominant and you're but like, did yeah. it feel safer when we had demetrius johnson in there yeah no it felt safer with dj it felt like it was going to be safe and like i said i always believe they wanted to kill the division when tj went down to take on cejudo i thought if tj won that's the end of 125 right there that's the easiest way to get rid of it our, our bantamweight champions now the 125 or two we can cut it we can, we can cut that whole division it didn't go the way they thought it would. So Hudo won and knocked TJ out and then went up and took that. And so I think they thought we were going to have a two-weight champion, so Hudo, so they kept it around some more. That didn't work out. We got Figueredo now, though. He'll be, you know, we'll give Joe B a chance to win, too. Like, everyone wants to see Joe B get that title. That was really, again, why I think they, they kept it around. Like, everyone wants to see Joe Benavides get this belt. And, and God, didn't he got crushed. Way. Yeah. That didn't was work out that so way, bad. Yeah. But it looks like you've got a killer in Figueredo that you can market. So that's the way we go. And then Moreno comes along and... and this whole division, I feel, has just been calamity <laughs> in, in what they wanted. Because even initially, when they first brought it out, Ian McCall was the guy they were looking to be champion of that division. Uncle Creepy. Yep. Yeah, Demetrius Johnson was a surprise, I think, at the end of that one. they were that This thing was created for Ian McCall to be the guy. And that didn't happen. So I feel like they're just constantly just trying to like turn lemons into lemonade with this division. And so long as they have a dominant guy or a likable guy at the top, they can run with that. But if it keeps moving around, I think the division gets axed. Well, the good news is their option right now is a likable guy and a dominant guy. And maybe a likable dominant guy. If, if, if Moreno just shellacks, once again, uh, Davidson Figueredo, you might have a dominant, likable guy. But the good thing about this weekend is it's one or the other. If Figueredo wins, especially in dominant fashion, the, the narrative, is gonna, narrative is going to be, well, we have a dominant champion. Blah, 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 he had a little setback, but he's back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If Brandon Moreno wins. It's that hard luck story personified, and maybe we see great things from him, and he's the guy who can carry the division forever. That's certainly a possibility. So either way, they have one or the other, but I don't know if it's enough to anchor this pay-per-view uh, opposite the, the, the heavyweight main event. I don't know how well it's going to do. Probably not well. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays, at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM, Channel 156. Chael Sonnen had a bit of a bold claim about the choice Masvidal was making to take on Covington. This is from his YouTube channel. Um, check it out about what he thought the consequences were for the Masvidal-Covington fight. I really got to show respect to Masvidal because this is a career-ending fight. It is that big of a deal. There will be that much attention and that much focus and that much hatred going into this battle that George, who is the second biggest draw in combat right now, who's coming off of two defeats, if he goes out there and he gets taken down and he gets mauled for 25 minutes, it is going to take a lot of luster off of the shine that is the number two sports second biggest draw, the BMF. George Moswell. It's a big deal, and George signed up anyway. God damn, I respect that. Okay, I agree with the respect for Roy Masvidal. In a fight that he will be a serious betting dog in, uh, stylistically, it's an absolute nightmare. It's going to be extremely personal, etc., etc., etc. So, partly, I agree with the American gangster. 
that I certainly respect Jorge Masvidal taking this fight. So I want to hear the potential outcomes of this fight from, once again, the gangster himself, Chael Sonnen. Here he is. If Colby goes out and is able to do what Colby has been able to do to every person that is not named Kamara Usman, you see the problem. Colby does not control and dominate and tap anybody out. That's Damian Maya style. Damian Maya's got the gentle, hoist Gracie style. Colby Covington is going to beat your ass. It's a different deal. Now, the other side of the coin does go to Masvidal. If he can go out and be the second guy, the only other guy to get the jump on Colby, who knows where he goes from there, right? Masvidal's only got one more spot to go. He's the second biggest draw alive. Conor McGregor, George Masvidal, anybody named Diaz. Make no mistake on how that order goes. Because you're going to hear from people say, I should be paid more. I'm a big draw. You're not one of them. Sure. Sure, makes sense. Here's where I differ with Chael Sonnen's um, assessment of the danger, the physical danger of taking on Colby Covington. KLB, are you ready? Is your mind zen? Is it clear? I'm going to throw some questions at you. It's kind of stream of consciousness, but you tell me what you think. You ready? Go for it. How did Rafael Dos Anjos look? I was there. I called that fight after a five-round loss to Colby Covington. Off the top of your remember. head. Yeah, I actually but, don't remember. You, but you don't remember because it wasn't that bad. It was mm-hmm. okay. It looked all right. How did Robbie Lawler look? More or less okay. More or less okay, right? Right? He's not the most vicious fighter on the planet. Tyron Woodley looked okay. It broke his rib in you know, fifth round. He was getting dominated for sure. But this is not one of those, oh, my God, five rounds with Colby Covington and you're never the same guy. It's not true. That's not, does he beat your ass? Yeah. His ground and pound is not particularly vicious. I've spoken to uh, people who have trained with Colby Covington, and one thing they, they almost universally say is he's just not a very hard puncher. I forget. I, I won't out who I was talking to. This is a private conversation. But they said uh, they sparred with a hell of a lot of 55ers who hit harder than Colby Covington. He's just not a heavy puncher. And when you look at his fights, when you look at his fights, it, it doesn't seem like heavy puncher. It's almost like he's a Diaz that can wrestle. He'll take you down and, and ground and pound you forever, but no one punch does that much damage. None of his opponents are that bad for wear, other than I would say Damian Maya, because I think Damian Maya made this fight way too personal and you know totally spent his gas tank trying to take Colby Covington out and didn't have anything to resist the ground and pound with. But everybody else that goes five rounds to Colby Covington, you lose every minute of every round, and by the end, you're still okay. He's just not that. He's not a a vicious ground and pound kind of guy. So I'm going to add that to the mix. Number two, the contradiction, not contradiction, there's a little bit of a contradiction, but for, for, for... the man, the American gangster, Chell Sonnen, to say this guy's the biggest draw, the second biggest draw in the sport right now, da, da, da. it isn't based on his ability to win. It's not. Got knocked out by Kamar Usman his last time out. Got handled by Kamar Usman before that. 
Uh, his record isn't great, which is something that Colby Covington prattles on about endlessly. But it's true. He doesn't have a great record. He's a win-some, lose-some guy in a division that really, I, he's not at his best, in my opinion, at 170. I think he's at his best at 55. All these things make me think that a loss to Colby Covington just isn't the end of the world. He's lost before. He's lost recently. This loss, should he lose, and I don't know if he will or won't, would make it three in a row. And yet he's still a big draw, street Jesus, people love him. That He's almost had that Diaz ability to absorb losses and nobody cares. So there are certain fighters whose draw, whose appeal is their ability to win. Jorge Masvidal is not one of those guys. You either like Jorge Masvidal or you don't. Lost plenty of times before. Sure, it's emotional. Sure, it's it's humiliating. Sure, there's a lot of pride on the line, uh, whatever, okay? But much like Nate Diaz, he wins and loses, and his popularity, his draw, his cachet with the fans, however you want to express it, it never seems to change. It just doesn't. I don't see this being any different. Kelly, am I out of my mind? I don't think so, because honestly, the two Kamara Usman losses didn't hurt Masvidal really at all. And last one, he got drilled. Exactly. And Colby's like the 1B to Kamaru's 1A. If there's anybody in the division that could beat Kamaru, I think it's Colby. If they fought 10 times, do I think he beats him at all? I don't know, but I think he has the best chance of anybody to beat him. So I would say he's the 1B to Kamaru's 1A. If Masvidal loses to him, he's expected to. Like you said, he's going to be a huge betting underdog. I don't think it does anything for him. If he wins, it's like... Holy crap, you know, you are a huge betting underdog. Really, nobody thought you were going to win. If he loses, okay, you know, everyone thought you were going to lose anyway. And there's that Diaz kind of, oh, you just took me down the whole time. Kobe doesn't do that much. He doesn't, like, destroy guys with his ground and pound like a prime Fedor. He doesn't have a great submission game like a Damian Maya. He doesn't crack guys on the feet. He just basically wears fighters down, which is great. I mean, he wins. But this idea that 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 the fans will turn on Masvidal, I think if you're a Masvidal fan, which a lot of people are, they're going to oh, just took him down the whole time. You'll hear the Diaz refrain, right? Oh, just took him down the whole time. Just took him down the whole time. Which will allow people who support Masvidal anyway to continue to, uh, you know, to continue to, to back him with the claim that it was only because of his takedown and he won the wrong way. Winner blaming, which is always weird to me, but it happens. It happens all the time. KLB, what do you think of that? That there'll be some winner blaming going on that he won in, let's say, a aesthetically cowardly fashion. Do you think you'll hear that? I mean, possibly. I mean, I'll, I'll just play devil's advocate here just to do it for radio sure. purposes. Coming off a knockout loss to Usman, who you always claim that you were better than. And then uh, losing a grudge match, and let's say he gets dominated the entire time by Colby Covington, I think it does take some major cachet off you. And the whole because that's the whole thing is the whole street image thing works. So let's say like, I I, I think he comes out of it okay if he pulls like a Nate Diaz, Leon Edwards. Like let's say he's getting dominated, but he has one last good round, then maybe you save it. And the same way the Diaz brothers do, like oh, there's only one more round. Jorge Masvidal takes that away from Covington. If he gets dominated for five straight rounds, just beat pillar to post, I don't know. I, I kind of think your time as a pay-per-view star is done. But I would argue that he's been on borrowed time this entire time. 
Like his his rise kind of out of nowhere off the backs of, you know, uh, Ben Askren, Nate Diaz, right? uh, Okay. Um, Have those losses aged very well? I mean, those wins, have they aged very well? No. Ben Askren no longer in the UFC. Um, And, of course, Diaz, a a puffed-up 155-pounder, fighting at 170 pounds. That fight not particularly meaningful. Lost to Leon Edwards. And the 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 other thing that kind of put him on the map, which I think was the most impressive one of that win, was Darren Till, that streak. Darren Till hasn't been successful since that loss. So the idea that he got here on the backs of three losses that – three wins, I'm sorry, from his perspective, that haven't aged well. Those, we haven't seen that those were great fighters by any stretch of the imagination. So – 0-2 against Kamaru Usman. He doesn't want to lose to Colby Covington. I get that. But is it a career-ending kind of thing? No. No. People still like him. He still has some miles left on him. And fans, for better or worse, a lot of them will stick by him. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Now it's time for the UTC mailbag. Get the questions ready. All right. This first one comes from Keith, who has a question about UFC 270 here. He says, uh, hey, Jimmy, is it possible they made such a weak card so they can look at Francis and say, you want to be paid more? Look at the pay-per-view you headlined did horrible numbers. (sighs) That look, that's always possible. It is. It's always possible. We're past that with with Francis Ngannou. We're past like, oh, it's the numbers and this and that. We are at a level of, of, of blatant disrespect that I don't know I, that I've ever seen the UFC really go there with a sitting champion. Well, you know, they'll have their back and forth. They'll have little conflicts. I don't know if I've ever seen a division this wide that's been this – that's had this much vitriol, that's been this public, that's been this dramatic – with a champion? I don't know if I've ever seen that, Kilby. And when I look at that, we're beyond ticky-tack, this number, that number, this card. We're beyond that. It's about, we don't like you. I don't like you. You don't like me. It, 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 it seems much more personal and, therefore, less about numbers on a particular card. KOB, is that fair? This has gotten really super, to me, weird and personal. We've never seen a, a champion put this much online and basically say, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. If I, if I have the opportunity, I'm leaving. I'll go to court if I have to. When have we seen that? That's what's mainly it's because so often the champion's never in that position. Like They're yeah. not usually getting ready to fight out their contract while still having the belts. That's why this is a very, very important weekend for Francis. I mean, if he can hold on to the belt and then still has this weird leverage power, like, things could get very interesting with the UFC. Um, but to the person's point, like I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised if they were like, "Screw it, 
we're not even like we got another title fight on there we don't care as much about making people tune in for this one like it's a weird thing but we've seen the ufc is not afraid to you know cut their nose off to spite their face like they, they don't really have that issue especially when they want to make a point yeah yeah we've seen that before so it wouldn't surprise me I'm not even saying they're not doing it. I'm just saying, given the the level of animosity between these two parties, we're kind of beyond X's and O's, right? It's it's almost like I don't see how this is even even salvageable. So, does it really matter that this one pay per view has more or less buys? I, I I I don't see it that way. I don't see that at all. So that's how I see it. Next, answer my question. All right, this one's an intriguing one because this one made me stop and pause for a second. So this comes from Anne from Wichita who says, Hey, Jimmy. Hey, would you cons- Would you consider MMA at all in kind of an elitist sport? Boxing has community gyms helping out disadvantaged youth. They offer free or cost-effective memberships, even a neighborhood backyard gym offering refuge for free. I would have to work overtime to afford martial arts classes for my children. This is why I couldn't get behind Ronda Rousey or the others who've had a parent in the business or affluent families who can afford martial arts, wrestling, or other classes. Poor kids without parent support have to really rely on neighborhood community gyms. Do you think we will see a change in the future? We might. Um, There are certain aspects of MMA that have a community aspect to it i mean certain aspects of mma have a community side to it i'll explain in brazil jiu-jitsu is seen as a rich kid sport it's weird when i was in brazil uh soccer is for poor people jiu-jitsu is for rich people for that reason but there's always that idea that physically talented people will get recognition and will get to train for free marco huas the king of the streets Got that name because he would teach kids in the favela, which is the ghetto, like the, 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 the shanty towns, basically. He'd take kids from the favela and teach them. Now, American Top Team is not going to let you in and have you train for free. Uh, it's not going to happen. But there are small gyms out there that do. There are smaller gyms, not necessarily world-class guys, not necessarily the champion builders, but there are some small gyms that will let kids train for free or for very little cost. Uh, you could argue it's just basically to scout the talent and see if they can pick up somebody while they're young who's super talented. So there are aspects of it where not every gym is really expensive. But big gyms, American Top Team, a.k.a. Uh, I could name a million, Sanford MMA, they're expensive. Go Taking your kids to jujitsu is not cheap. But if you go to a gym and go, my kid really wants to do it, and they, 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 I don't know, are big for their, their, their age or something like that, you'll usually get a break. You'll usually get something um, because you, you got to somehow draw in that talent that can't always afford what you're selling. So there are aspects of it that are social. But that really surprised me when I was in Brazil that they see jujitsu as a rich kid thing. Oh, yeah, rich kids in Rio do that, not – poor kids it's weird when i saw this question i stopped i'm like god this is actually pretty true because i remember even when i was looking yeah. for mma gyms a lot of them would do like all right it's this much to just do jujitsu do you want to do extra like striking yes. stuff like that it's a yeah. little bit extra and it, and it went up the gym i ended up choosing i had liked the way they were handling classes and it was like a flat fee like 
let's say, I, I can't remember what it was at the time. Maybe let's say it's $140 like that. But it was like, right. come to as many classes as you want, take as many as you want, train as many different things as you want. You know, there's no thing. It's just a flat fee for you to do whatever you want while you're here. So that's what one of the things that drew me into it. And it was a little bit more real. And there was, you know, weekly sparring and all these different things. So, but when I thought about it, I'm like, it is kind of a rich kid sport. Like, yeah. And I think part of it is also, and I think you'd probably agree to run an MMA gym. It can't always be the same guy doing everything. You got to pay other coaches who might be better grapplers, who might be better strikers. So you got to pay them different. Like, so all that comes into play, which is why the rates have to go up. But as I was reading this, I'm like, it is kind of a rich kid type of thing. When you, if, if you're getting into it young, yeah, you could probably make some deals with some gyms here and there if you really work some stuff out. But for the most part, it is kind of a rich kid sport. Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, and this is going to sound you know, whatever, but, but you know, I've been in this so long that I don't know what jiu-jitsu costs anymore. I don't, I don't know. I've never walked into a gym that made me pay for anything. <laughs> like, Or they'll be like, okay, you know, whatever. I'm a black belt, so they, they want another black belt. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it generally costs a regular person. I don't because a lot of times I'm coaching, I'm helping out or whatever. I don't know uh, what it what it costs anymore. People ask me all the time, I'm like I, I don't really know because you know I pay it. I don't, you know I probably don't pay what everybody else pays because I've been in it for so damn long. You know they want an experienced guy to help out, so I don't know. So yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting question. It certainly is. Oh, by the way, there was an interesting P.S. on this one. Uh, it said, P.S., tell Jimmy to stop claiming Long Beach. He probably grew up in Bixby Knowles. Wow, this person knows Long Beach, huh? No, I did, <laughs> not, grow up in, I did not grow up in Bixby Knowles. Uh, I did not grow up in Belmont Shore, all right? I did not grow up in any of the, 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 the super – by the way, if people don't know Long Beach, uh, Bixby Knowles is a, like a nice area of Long Beach. It's a, like a super nice area. And then, I figured. I didn't know Long Beach, but I'm like, I bet you it's the rich kid area. Yeah, that is – it is a rich kid area. Belmont Shore is more rich kid than Long Beach. But also, what people don't know about Long Beach is there are some sides that are, yeah, Snoop Dogg, super ghetto and bad, which is where I went to school, uh, high school. And then there are really nice areas of Long Beach. So it's not all ghetto. Being Claiming Long Beach, you can be super rich and grow up in Long Beach. It's certainly possible. Yeah. And Bixby Hills is not its own city, by the way. It's a neighborhood. Anyway. <laughs> no, I figured that would get your attention. Yeah, yeah. I did grow up there. Yeah. Uh, so you were talking about training in general. So this one comes from Daniel from Tampa. Says, hey, Jimmy, uh, I train at Gracie Tampa, and it's all no-gi, and most of the guys would never put on a gi. But when I travel, I do train in, in, in other schools with the gi, and I find it fun and helpful with guard retention. Yes. So my question is, are you a guy who believes in one or the other or both? If so, how do you think it hurts or helps doing only one or the other or both? Okay, here's, here's an, an excellent uh, – I have an example in my head. I started out no-gi, right? I was a wrestler. I started Team Punishment that did all MMA stuff. They really didn't do a lot of gi stuff. And so uh, I started out no gi. And then I was taking on a guy from one of the Gracies. I forget which one. He was a Hoyler guy or something. And we rolled gi, and then we rolled no gi, and then we rolled gi. When we rolled gi, I, he passed my guard, which I could usually just kind of like move out really easily. It felt like an anaconda was on top of me. Because he knew exactly, you can't make a mistake with a gi. You will suffer. It's like there are handles everywhere. And as soon as somebody gets a good position on you, you're doomed. Your ability to move and scramble. and With no gi, you can do that. With gi, you can't. It makes you much more cautious in that mistakes are harder to recover from. 
So it makes you tighter. It makes you much more, um, I don't want to say cautious, but it makes like, dude, I cannot let somebody pass my guard because they're never going to move. Um, it really tightens your game up, doing gi. It really does. So I started doing gi more uh, after I left Team Punishment, and, and I've been about 50-50 since then. But, you know, if somebody passes my guard and with no gi, I don't really worry. About it. I usually get my guard back really easily. With, no, with a gi? They grab your pants, they grab your collar, and you are going nowhere. So I really do believe it tightens your game up. I, I, I disagree with the transfer. And what I mean by this is people go, oh, man, you got to train gi to know no gi. Uh, maybe. It's, it's just there's so many opportunities now, no gi grappling and EBI and, and all this stuff, that it's kind of become like its own separate sport. And with any sport, the more you do what you're – what the sport requires of you, the better you're going to be. So if, if Nogi is just your thing, you're a Gordon Ryan, and he, I think Gordon Ryan's actually like, I'm not kidding, like a purple belt with a gi. That's ridiculous. He's he's world-class grappler. Just he does all Nogi stuff. So it's almost like they're separating into two different sports, which is a little weird, but it's true. But, yeah, I suggest doing both because, my God, get your guard. get somebody Watch somebody take your back one time with a gi, and you'll have a new respect for how hard it is to get out of that. That's what I think. Next. You've got mail. All right. We got a twofer here from Matt from Long Island. Uh, first up, he says, hey, Jimmy, with Amanda Nunez leaving ATT and starting her own gym, do you think this could be the beginning of the end for Nunez? God, I hate to say it. Um, but combined with the loss, yeah. If she were coming up a win and left American Top Team, okay. But that loss, all by itself, I would go, man, that was that's a bad, big, big upset. She mentally didn't seem in that fight. She was just mentally not there. And when you're mentally not there, there's always going to be the the possibility that you've run your road, that your head's not in this anymore, you want out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whenever you get that, um, there's a possibility you're done. And then she does that, and she leaves her team, and not just to leave her team, to start her own team, which takes an incredible amount of effort and time and resources. And you're going to do that? I don't know. It, it, I hate to say it, but it could be. KOB, am I out of my mind? That combination of the biggest upset loss in UFC history, and you're leaving, and you're starting your own team, which is usually a retirement move? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's starting to feel like it. Like it almost feels like even if she won, like especially if Kayla Harrison signs elsewhere, it, it feels like what more do you have to prove if you can go back there and get the belt back? Is there anybody else left for you to fight? So it almost feels like a retirement move no matter what. Right. So this this might be the end in a good way. She wins the belt, goes, All right, out of here. I don't know. We'll see. Next. Answer my question. Oh, I'm sorry, he had a follow up here. Oh, please. Uh, he says, uh, can you imagine the pressure guys are under dating Kelly? First, you need to know sports very well. Otherwise, Kelly, Kelly will own you on that. Right. Second, you have to sort of compete with gladiators like Calvin, Calvin Cater, Justin Gaethje, and TJ Dillashaw. Sure. Third, you have to worship the ground she walks on as you won't receive any Christmas gifts, but must make sure you get the proper gifts for her. Any thoughts on this, Jimmy? My own private hell. That is dating. <laughs> Kelly is like, she takes everything, doesn't give anything back, and expects... Constant gratification, which is, you know, it's kind of like working with her, basically. It's it's similar, I guess. Um, I got to ask you, Kelly Kel, 
How many guys have you dated while being in love with Justin Gaethje? Well, being in love with Justin Gaethje, too. How did they feel about that? I mean, they knew the situation. Like, if the opportunity ever came about, like, I wasn't passing it up. Gotcha. How did they feel about that? Competing, essentially, with a guy that could crush their face with one punch. I would imagine it couldn't have been great, but they never really expressed that to me because then that would have bothered me. So... (laughs) You can't uh, show any weakness to Kel. <laughs> exactly. She's like, oh, yeah, no, as soon as they complain Justin about Gaethje it, they're it. done, and that's it. And that's it. By the way, there is a P.S. here, Kel, that I would need you to verify because you know this area better than both me and Jimmy. Uh, he says, P.S., on Long Island, we have a thing about women. If they live north of the, of the LIE, the North Shore, they tend to be like Kelly. South Shore tend to be much more down-to-earth women. Is that correct? Oh, wow. Who is this? This is Matt from Long Island. Like F, Matt from Long Island. Matt, I am South Shore, so. Okay. (laughs) All right. I don't know what any of that means, but that's cool. Basically, let the hate flow through you. Exactly, Kelly Kel. All right. So she's pissed, by the way. What's this guy's name? Matt in Long Island? (laughs) Yep. All right, right now, Kelly is looking at that camera and not pleased. Just throwing Damned. that out there right now. Damn. It's <laughs> not looking good for you, Matt, from Long Island. Not looking good at all. So uh, let's move on past this one. All right, let's move on. Next. All right, next up. Mail, motherfucker. All right, this comes from Jack who says, Hey, Jimmy, I know you are the hardest working man in showbiz. But oh, let's say God, you get it feels a- like it. Let's say you get a week off and money is no object. Where is somewhere you want to travel or go on vacation? And secondly, where is a place you where where is a place you'd never recommend someone go? Wow, I've been I've been everywhere. Um, so I got a week. That's the deal. Is that the deal? You got, I got a week. week? Yeah, you got a week and all the money in the world to have fun on your vacation. Wow. Um, I would go probably. Somewhere I have I you know what I've lived on the West Coast my you know most of my life until the last two years I've never been to any Pacific Islands I've never been to Hawaii I've never been to Fiji I've never been to any of those islands I've never been anywhere around that so it's kind of the one place that I haven't been that I would really love to see that's beautiful and it kind of checks off all the boxes but I've never done it yet that was probably where I'd go with a week where would I recommend people not go I don't think I've ever been disappointed pointed anywhere i've been all over europe i've been all over asia i've never been anywhere that i'm like oh god i thought this would be great and it's not they've all been really cool you know but i've been places obviously you know like the middle of nowhere for work i wouldn't recommend that but i can't think of anywhere that like is a tourist destination that i wouldn't go to some places are a little touristy but other than that yeah I, I've, been, I was hoping, I've been pretty happy with that. I was hoping you'd be like, don't go to Pennsylvania. Sucks there. Like, I was yeah, no, like. That was going to be Jimmy's Everything's been fine. <laughs> you know, like. But there's not touristy places anyway, you know. If you no. didn't have a location in your head, like, overseas, I was waiting for you to just trash a state here. Yeah, <laughs> just go, oh, my God, Michigan, please. But, you know. Uh, been to Thackerville more times than I could care. Thackerville, <laughs> yeah. I, I, if I never see Thackerville again, I will be totally okay with it. But they treated us well, so I want to trash Thackerville. But yeah, I, I, I'm pretty happy with that. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. 
Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.